You are listening to the Failing Point podcast. Please enjoy this word from our sponsor, My Sauna. My Sauna provides excellent spaces for companies and private persons to arrange a meeting, negotiation, parties, or relaxation. If you're looking for a high-quality space for a specific event for your need in a capital area of Helsinki, go to the website mysauna.fi and explore more. Hi everyone, I'm Henna and I'm Julia and you're listening to Failing Point Podcast. Failing Point is a podcast about entrepreneurship, about seeing challenges as opportunities and failures as steps to success. With a lineup of inspiring entrepreneurs sharing their hardships of their journeys and the lessons they've learned, we are ready to challenge the status quo of Finnish business culture. We all have a story to tell. Now it's time for Brave Talk. Today's Failing Point guest is a man who has gone through a real nightmare. It almost seems unreal, but it is a true story. Tapani Koivunen has survived an unimaginable hardship years back when his business partner betrayed him in his business. In the end, Tapani was arrested in Chicago airport and we went through a real torment when defending himself in his trial and eventually Tapani had to spend years in American prisons even though he was innocent. Despite of all his hard experiences, he survived and today wants to tell his story to help others. Tapani's grit and persistence and also willingness to make something good out of his experience is something really touching and inspiring and leaves an everlasting mark to all of us. Listen to Tapani's unbelievable story and everything that he has experienced when fighting the fight of his life. Tapani's amazing story is divided into two different failing point episodes. Okay, Tapani, welcome to Failing Point Podcast. We are honored to have you as our guest. Thank you. So your story is actually a phenomenal story of grit and persistence, but it is also a story of betrayal and injustice. Uh, it almost seems unreal, but it's a real story. And about your story, that story we are talking today here in Failing Point. And you have also written a, written a book about your story, and the book is called Amerikkalainen painajainen vuoteni usan vankiloissa. And if I translate that to English, it's American Nightmare, My Years in American Prisons. And the book is published in Finnish. Um, but let's talk about more of that book later on. And if we go first through um, about who you are as a person. Sure. And, yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, exactly. Before we talk more about this part of your story, let's hear more about you. And you have had an impressive career. Uh, you've been, you have been working for Nokia and Gemira and also for Edward Jones, just to name few. Mm-hmm. And Coulter. Yeah. Coulter and Helsinki Mills. 
Yeah, yeah. I I delivered pizzas. I've uh, flown uh, skydivers. Um, yeah, I I've held uh, a lot of hats. But uh, let me start uh, from my my childhood. Yeah. It, it usually has. Uh, uh, impact on, on everyone's life. So I was born on a farm in, in Virat, Finland, and um, I, I grew up to be quite independent, resilient in, in many ways. Uh, also, being an entrepreneur, my parents, especially my father, he encouraged me to, to take initiative in different areas. He supported my pilot training from very beginning, uh, in summertime, I was uh, contracting for neighbor farms, mm-hmm. uh, baling hay and things like that. So that kind of, I had an environment where where I grew up to become become an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if you look at my whole work career, um, I probably worked for somebody else as a manager. Or different, mm-hmm. different managing positions, yeah. but I've, I've been also an uh, entrepreneur in in that sense. But the areas I've chosen, uh, they are fairly capital intensive. So you need to find uh, partners that uh, hopefully bring in money, and and also banks. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, my my initial life became from uh, farming. I went to farming school. And then I went to University of Helsinki for for master's program in yeah. Econ. And uh, at that time, I already began visiting U.S. In 1980, I went to Michigan, Wisconsin to do part of my uh, farm training, which was required in, in that time. So especially in Wisconsin, I, I milked the cows at night shift and I flew my first US pilot's license at day shift. Really? Wow. It, it was a it was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, then I worked as a journalist for for a while, summer jobs. Um, and and uh, then I worked for uh, clay industry. Uh, actually uh, it was a two year project with uh, Finnish clay industry mm-hmm. promoting uh, you know clay tiles used in egg, egg building mm-hmm. and then I I was hired by Suomen Sokeri which became later on Kultur I, I had uh, probably 10 different positions in the company it was a very good uh, training organization they yeah. encouraged young managers to train and they supported it and and I had a lot of opportunities. I really enjoyed that company. Wow. <clears throat> Part of that uh, company, actually, I um, I did work two years upstate New York. Actually, mm-hmm. my my office was in Schaumburg, Illinois, and my home was in Ithaca, New York. And uh, then I from uh, Coulter, <clears throat> I went back to school, got my MBA. Then I worked for Helsinki Mills for five years. At that, after that, uh, my ex-wife um, uh, was asked. She was working for Chimera. Mm-hmm. So so um, the company 
asked her to finish her doctorate program, and and we had been traveling back and forth, Finland, U.S. for quite a few times. Come mm-hmm. back to those uh, to, to those times later, but um, yeah. So then we decided to go to U.S. and I left my position. I was a CEO of Helsinki Mills, mm-hmm. and I I left the job and uh, went to U.S. and I, I was a supporting family member to support my my wife yeah. at the time. To, to do the work, yeah. and uh, and then I ended up working for Edward Jones, which is an investment and uh, financing uh, insurance company for mostly for private private people, which was a very good educational program as well. Oh, before that, I worked for Kemira. I initiated uh, North American sales for special chemicals mostly in, in the U.S., but also in Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, then things went went sour with my project in the U.S., which we can go back. But let me go to back to U.S. visits. Mm-hmm. So 1980, I spent almost a year uh, in the U.S. working on farms. Uh, we had a wonderful uh, tour in the US, U.S. with my friends, uh, I had four of my friends uh, doing the same training in Canada, so we we drew around the U.S. for a month. Wow. I still I still call it as a, one of the best uh, trips I ever done. It was wow. a low it was a low budget but high quality. Yeah. Began from Wisconsin, and uh, the guys came from Canada, and uh, went to west all the way to California, then full the south to the border of Mexico. Started coming back and uh, uh, went to East Coast, mm-hmm. to Florida. I was supposed to stay in Florida and um, work there for another two months. Yeah. But that didn't happen because it was my car. We were driving and the guys, they went to buy another car for themselves. <laughs> the first day it broke down. Okay. And, and they said, Hey, you you know enough of the uh, orange packaging, so so they twisted my arm to continue the trip with them, and uh, went to Key West, uh, and I ended up back going to Finland. Now, the one of the other options could have been that I I would do my two months in Florida, mm. and then then go to Ames to Iowa. My friend Auntie Herlin, he was studying there at that time, and he said, Oh yeah. Come and he said he has a job for me over there, but yeah. that never that never happened. Mm. So we went back Finland. Then, um, 1983-84, I was selected to go to University of Arkansas for an exchange program, which was another very interesting year, academically also very rewarding. Uh, yeah. Met met. Uh, Youngest governor of the U.S. His name was Bill Clinton. Yeah. A friend of mine said, "Go and see this guy. He's going to be future U.S. president someday." Oh, really? He, he, was, he was the impressive guy already at that time. Yeah. Okay. So then I came back. At that time, I was already married, and then um, made a few vacations over there. Uh, then uh, um, eighty-eight went to upstate New York. 
that was the time. Uh, my my wife then she got a Fulbright scholarship to finish her doctorate over there, mm-hmm. and we spent two years over there. I worked for Kultur, then uh, we came back to Finland. Uh, went back to work. Uh, I went back to Kultur, and '92 I began my MBA program. <clears throat> And after that, I went to Helsinki Mills. After five years in Helsinki Mills, it was my ex-wife's that time, my wife's uh, turn to mm. finish her PhD studies, and, and so went went back to California. Yeah. And uh, so I've been fortunate to have a lot of good academic training. Uh, one of the areas I, I'd like to bring into discussion is my military uh, training because yeah. I feel that it had some contribution to to what I'm doing. Yeah. So my my pilot training. Mm-hmm. So I've done my military in in Finnish uh, special forces, Laskuaria Agricolo, and um, along with my home and background over there, I think it enforced me to. Uh, Tackle challenges in situations, and we yeah. always push push the limit, and yeah. uh, we would know what it takes to survive, mm-hmm. and, and and also you could test your own limits, so that uh, so that you can hopefully survive in such uh, hard situations. Yeah. Uh, um, my pilot training, I wanted to be a pilot. Actually, I wanted to be a pilot when I was five years old. Really, I, I knew that I want to be a pilot, and and so I I kept on training very systematically to that. Uh, but it, uh, aviation never became my uh, a professional life. It's been more or less a hobby. But I, at one point, I had both uh, European and U.S. Uh, commercial pilot's licenses for multi-engine IFR. Actually, very high, high quality ratings for for that purpose. Wow. Uh, so all those uh, disciplines they they provided skills that I needed on the other areas of business. Yeah. So so yeah, you have a lot of experience, like you said, about different things, and then uh, you started a business in Estonia, right? And it was in food industry, bakery, and Things like that, meals. Okay. So we need to go back a little bit. Uh, it it all dates back to Helsinki Mills time. Yeah, yeah. '93, uh, um, when I joined Helsinki Mills, uh, Mr. Yuri Puk, who was a chairman of the company, uh, had uh, relocated the company from Sörnäinen in Helsinki to Järvenpää, and the company mm-hmm. was not doing that great, so. They ended up hiring me, and uh, in half half a year, we actually turned it around to become cash positive, which was wow. a very important thing to do. Now, being three months in the company, Yuri calls me in his room and says, well, you know, um, I've sent the old milling equipment from Sörnäinen to Estonia to mm. a former, former uh, minister of agriculture, and um, he's building up a mill. Uh, please go and check if the mill is ready so we can invoice because it was sent 
to Estonia on a consignment basis. He said, okay, yeah, there was uh, eight full truckloads of equipment. And when the mill was running, he was supposed to start paying the equipment. Mm-hmm. So that's how I ended up going to Estonia, 1993. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> the, the equipment actually was left behind over there, scattered all over the country, and no mill was existing there. So um, suddenly we found, we after some research, we were able to locate the former uh, minister mm-hmm. who had received the equipment, and and we, we were asking what his plans were. And he says, well, I can't build the mill, but uh, if you pay the charges, which was eight full truckloads, mm. you, can, you can keep the equipment. And uh, we spent not much, maybe a week to considering the situation. And, and uh, it was it was still 93. Estonia had just become independent again. And mm. uh, we could we could see that there was a need for mailing mm. money there. Yeah. So we decided to take a challenge. And I, as a chairman, uh, our CEO of the company, Helsinki Mills, I, I took an initiative and asked from Helsinki Mills if the equipment could be put as in-kind investment for the company. And the uh, rest of us, employees of Helsinki Mill and me, we put real money on the table. So we got the company started and we started looking lots of different options to put up the mill. And uh, we never found a suitable location. And, and there was some other things that uh, prevented the investment. I, I met Mr. Yuri Puch just a couple of years ago before he, he passed away. Yeah. He said um, we could not invest in Estonia as long as there's a chance that the Russians will come back. They were all Estonians and, and uh, Stalin had uh, uh, liquidated his, his uh, relatives in Estonia. So anyway, we had the equipment there and uh, as things evolve, at a certain point, I had uh, three collective farms in, in my charge because egg business was really collapsing over there at that time. So I saw what happens when totally planned economy will be turned to a free market economy overnight. Mm-hmm. And when I left Helsinki Mills 1998, mm-hmm. the equipment was still there. We had lots of plans for putting up the mill, but uh, we didn't have it in in a such operation. We had a marketing company there, but not not the actual production company. So I asked uh, from Helsinki Mill if it's okay if I continue doing the plans for for the milling company we had done in Estonia. And Mr. Yuri Puch says, uh, yeah, go on and keep us informed of your plans. Then I started looking for financing. I, I had everything. I had all the plans. I yeah. had I had um, I had already by that time I had a good location for the mill. I actually had some options, but uh, not enough money. It turned out to be it was about 15 million euro investment, which wasn't it, it wasn't a huge. It's, it wasn't nothing like uh, Fatser or Rice or those are in magnitude of hundreds of millions. Yeah, mm-hmm. or, or at least about 100 million. Mm. So it was a, it was a small, but it's a significant money. And um, actually, before I departed from Helsinki Mills, I had uh, secured some equity investors for the company. And we had a bank loan coming in. All it needed was uh, 
more cash from Helsinki Mills to indicate that they were serious about that. And as I said, Yuri Books later on told that they could not do that. So it failed. Okay. If, yeah. if, if the initial plans had flown, yeah, we, we'd probably be Helsinki Mills would be the biggest uh, operator in, in the Baltics. That never, never happened. Mm-hmm. So I went to US in a Rotary Club over there. I met uh, some people, approached me and said, um, uh, well, because I told my story to the club why, why I'm in, in Davis, California and what was my, my own plan for the time being of, of my wife to finish her PhD. So one of the guys, Sergei Skurkin, Mm. Uh, he approached me. He's a U.S. citizen, but he said, uh, I may have a company and partners that might actually help you with your plan. And so we started working with that. And uh, he, he, uh, Sergey introduced me to Mr. Bill Wasburn. And, uh, you know, turns out to be that Bill Wasburn, he was a former Navy pilot. So to me, that was a very trustworthy Yeah. Thing. Something mm-hmm. common. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, somebody who has gone very rigorous training and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and also at that time, Bill Wasburn, he was kind of a salesperson for OPIC loans. OPIC is a overseas private investment corporation, U.S. Mm-hmm. government agency, which was funding projects, small and big ones in, in the, um, especially in the developing areas. And, and Soviet Union had just collapsed. So they were very active in, in those areas. So I basically pulled out my plans and we did make some modifications for the plans to bring in a U.S. investor. Company name was uh, Food Pro International. And uh, so OPIC, they actually liked the plans very much. Yeah. They came to Estonia to audit the plans and visited people over there. By the way, that same time, they did another plan for Koivisto Port here in St. Petersburg, and that was a big project. Yeah, okay. So they said, hey, yours is a small one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I said, yeah, it's not a big one, but I'm sure you're going to like it. You're not going to be disappointed. Mm. But I was very sure that it's going to fly. And uh, as soon as the loan was granted, things started to become very sour with my partners. You're listening to Failing Point podcast about the highs and lows, failures and challenges of business life. We are talking with Tapani Koivunen, a businessman that has experienced a real nightmare years back when his business partners betrayed him and embezzled company's funds. Tapani went through a hard trial in America and had to plead guilty even though he was innocent. Tapani was sentenced to prison and spent years in different jails in America. Listen to Tapani's phenomenal story of grit, persistence and injustice. His story is indeed one of a kind. I now now that I look afterwards, uh, I became a liability to them after the loan had been uh, granted. They had prepared the, the whole thing to to run by themselves. All they needed mm-hmm. to get, get an OPIC loan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but one year to the project, they came to Finland and they were actually asking more money from company, Mr. Washburn and mm-hmm. his his uh, U.S. partners. And uh, 
at that time, we reported it to the bank. Actually, by the way, Mr. Washburn says company loan money is gone. All the equity is gone. He held all the bank accounts. Yes. Uh, he would not give. We had a fight in our board meetings to disclose all that documentation, but they would not give it to us. And uh, so then they came to to get more money from us. And uh, then at that time, we had to report it to the bank. And also, we told it to Finnish police. So when such a project stalls, there's no money. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a very big chance that uh, this project will totally fail because it stalled for a long time, almost mm-hmm. half a year without any funding. However, we were able to do something because we had some cash flow coming in from the projects already. And um, so OPIC, after they, initially they would not believe that Mr. Washburn had done anything like that. I mean, they pulled all the equity from the company and and all the bank loans. And uh, when uh, OPIC finished uh, their own audit and uh, research, then they had to accept what I've told to them. They pulled me into a meeting and they say, okay, we'll let you buy the assets for a reasonable price and and uh, we hope that you can finish, but you need to find other finance. They can no longer finance for the project. And uh, yes, they said uh, they may they may charge Wasburn on, on, on the... It was actually a fraud. I, yes. I that's mm-hmm. a fraud. Mm-hmm. So they said um, they would still ask me to assist in the in an investigation if needed. And of course I said, yeah, i given all the information initially. Why wouldn't I give it later on? And, and so went on. Uh, unfortunately, that time, uh, it was 2006 at mm-hmm. that time when we had to find, 2005, 2006, we had to find more financing and we just couldn't have enough. Yeah. That was a, it's a, it's a problem when you have a, ongoing project and you don't have enough funds to run the project and uh, we could not complete it so it it unfortunately it stalled i think that the plan was still good even today not quite as good as as it would have been in 2003 to 2008 if we had succeeded but but there was nothing wrong with the plan and and, and the financing was okay yeah. business, business would have been profitable Okay. Yeah, you had a great vision there, but the partners were doing wrong things. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I tried to save the company with uh, with one of one of my good friends, uh, Heikki Torniainen. We put all all money we had. We, mm. we really tried to save it, but it failed. So then Heikki and myself, we decided to go to our other daytime businesses. I went back to U.S. and was trying to find uh, some job. I never expected that I'd be charged on on the charges that they they later on read to me. Yeah. But uh, so then 2008, uh, FBI calls me and says they, they will interview my partners in Finland and they would like me to prepare a package of information for them. And we agreed to meet in, in the U.S. at my home. And I said, fine, that's that's going to be fine. Now, one of the conditions 
that uh, the hearing was in Finland was based on the agreement between Finnish authorities and FBI that these people here in Finland would be heard only as as witnesses. They mm-hmm. would not be charged on anything. So they they kind of at that stage FBI gave them in a way it was an immunity. I don't know if I could have come to Finland that time. I was working with Edward Jones, so I felt that I would not go to Finland to to keep my own statement on the situation, which I should have done. But I had two FBI agents coming to my house about a month after they had uh, heard my friends, other board members in Finland. And um, again, I I didn't think there was anything that I could be charged on. So that was fall 2008. 2009, I was coming back from Finland. I was uh, interviewing for, for a few jobs here in Finland, uh, including Sihti, Ipeanala, and, and the jobs he had uh, kind of outlined for me. There were a couple other positions, including CEO position for Finnair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which went to my my friend Mika Vehvilan at that time. But so when I landed back uh, from from Finland, coming through Chicago over here, over there, I was I was handcuffed at the airport. What was your first reaction for that? Well, it's it's something that you can't really imagine something like that happening. I had no clue. Mm-hmm. Well, let me take back. There was something. If I had read signs correctly, there probably was something. But I, even at that stage, I could not imagine that they were after me. So when I was in Finland for a two-week visit here, my friend, uh, my friend uh, John Engbring, he calls me mm. and he says, uh, "Somebody's broken into your house, and there's a plywood on your door, mm. and there's an FBI agent's card." Wow, and he said uh, he he was trying to call this number, mm. but they would not answer. And he gave the number to me as well. I sent them an email. Uh, they would not answer to me either. And I said I was visiting Finland, and I'm coming mm. back. I gave the flight number, uh, time when I was coming back, and I said maybe maybe I can assist you when when I come back home. Now at the same time when. FBI was dealing in the U.S. They had gone to my my family. They warned my family, especially my daughter Laura, not to tell me that they they had a arrest warrant for me. Whoa! You know, look, my Laura, uh, she she was studying. I believe that time she was studying, or she was already working. Mm. She would stay home for two days. She went to a to a closet and cried there mm-hmm. two days. That was a very sad thing. Well, she would not inform me on that. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, I, I told her that that's okay. I would have come to U.S. anyway because I wanted to clear it out. Yeah. I wanted to find out what's going on and what's going on. So anyway, yeah. uh, initial experience in in jail and prison system is not very pleasant it was a shock yeah and uh, i think it's it it'll be a shock for anyone who goes through it, especially if it's if it's a totally surprise for you yeah absolutely okay. 
And they kept you wondering uh, why you are there in the first place. They didn't give you any information, correct? So you kept wondering what's going on and yeah. what is well, the real reason I'm here. Well, the way the legal process goes, when somebody has been arrested, mm. person has to be uh, read the charges within certain time time limit. In my case, I spent my first night at the Cook County Jail, which was bad enough. Then the U.S. Marshal processed me into the system after the first court hearing. In the court, I actually had an attorney over there assisting me. And uh, she says, whatever they say, only answer when they ask, ask from you and say you're not guilty. Mm. So I said, guilty for what? And she takes up a pile of papers, about a couple of inches thick pile of papers. And all this is what is said over here. And that time, I, of course, heard that it was related to Golden Sierra Project. Mm -hmm. Mm. But I had no clue how come they could uh, charge me on anything that. So when I go into the court, U.S. attorney, he's reading the charges to me. And uh, he's explaining that he had arrested actually me at the Chicago yeah. here, and he says, it turns, it's a, like a law and order, you've seen that, that uh, TV show here mm -hmm. in Finland too, he turns to me and says, from all these charges, you could get 30 year life sentence, Oof. sentence for, and, and that's where you're, you start thinking that, is this for real? What yeah. the hell is, what the hell is happening here? Yeah, mm -hmm. even... When you say it out loud, it's like I have goosebumps. Mm. Sounds yeah. yeah, we cannot yeah. imagine how yeah. you've been feeling there with all of yeah. this. Well, it's a, it's not a pleasant experience. So mm. after judge over there in Chicago uh, says, okay, I'll be transferred to California for actual legal process over there because the case was in in San Francisco. Mm. So then U.S. Marshal takes me from there. They'll process me. They give me my federal number. Federal number is is a number which will be given for any U.S. federal prisoner yeah. or inmate. And he says, this is your number, 415-12424. Remember it because you will need it through your prison time. He didn't say if. He said when. when? Yeah. He was so certain that I, I will serve the time. I didn't understand the whole thing by that time, but it turns out to be about 99%. Whoever gets that number will serve the time. Yeah. Okay. Whoa. So one would say, well, what a wonderful legal system. They don't make any mistakes. When they give a charge, they, they, will, they also get a sentence. But I learned that... Uh, There are a lot of innocent people in the U.S. prison system. Yeah. U.S. attorney knew that I was I was not a bad guy. She said three times to my attorney, "We know that Tapan is not a bad guy. He just landed in the bed with devil. Yeah. We need him to cooperate." Mm -hmm. Well, I I had no clue what that cooperation meant. I I replied through my attorney telling that uh, I'd be happy to help you as soon as you drop the charges on me. They would not do it. For one thing, I was the best witness for them. 
and and they were trying to twist my my words that suited to their plans. But I, mm. I would not do that because I, don't, I didn't think it was right. They were trying to twist something that wasn't true. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, it was a nightmare for over three years. Yeah. At some point, you were at home arrest. Mm. You had the electronical band on, based on your, placed on your leg. Correct. And you couldn't uh, move away from 10 meters. Is it so yeah. that it's 10 meters? Yeah. 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 I landed, uh, <clears throat> first of all, I spent five months in uh, in different prisons, first in Cook County, then in Chicago for almost a month in mm-hmm. MCC Chicago. And then I was transferred to, to California. I went to court several times. I was the only one that was still arrested. All the other people, I wasn't the only one who was, uh, who was charged. There was, mm. there was five of us, mm. but everyone else had been released based on they, they could provide their, their house or other property as a collateral. Uh, they were asking initially, they were asking me $1.5 million as a warranty money, which of course I didn't have any, any of that. Well, the, the plan goes along when when the uh, process progresses. Um, the the um, money will come down, and uh, especially with help of my my friend Mr. Pietari Grön. He's an attorney, mm. not the, not a uh, criminal attorney, but mm. he's in the legal legal business. He's also known here in Finland. He assisted mm. in getting the the money down to about three hundred thousand dollars, actually. $300,000. My friends and my family were able to get a loan from Bank from Virat from Finland so that I was released on the bail in, in Finland. So yeah. so I landed on on a sofa, on a couch for Laura's apartment and, and I had that uh, guard on my ankle and initially I couldn't go fuller than 10 meters away from that, mm-hmm. that receiver. Later on I got some more freedom. And, yeah. Took, uh, but I it took a lot of work yeah. to, to work to to that. But of course, it was better to be home than in being in the prison. But, but it was still very painful because it was a legal process that I, I would I would need to try to find out how can I prove my innocence. Yeah, exactly. This is the this is the what people think on on different legal systems. Everyone believes that you are innocent. Till you are proven guilty. Yeah, yeah, that's when right. When you are when you are in the system, you are guilty from the first day and mm-hmm. forever. When you get the charges, especially in the U.S., you are guilty, and you have to find a way. You have to fight your out from the system. It would have taken probably a lot of money from my my part to get a, a proper attorney and and do the proper investigation. I probably could have had a chance, but I never had that. That funding. I had to rely on on U.S. government paid attorneys. First, mm-hmm. I had a court assigned attorney. Well, I'm sorry, I had a U.S. U.S. court assigned defender, and then I had another. Actually, I had three different people that were helping me in the legal work during these three years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, legal process was uh, about 18 months. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. then. 
then I, I had to do my sentence. So, mm. so the long, <clears throat> long process, it's a very hard process to stomach all the charges that uh, you feel that you are innocent, but I never was able to speak in a court. Mm. Always my attorney would speak, and especially two of the guys, they were not really willing to speak for me. They just did what the U.S. attorney wanted them to do. Mm, yeah, we were just wondering that how that would like that feel when you had to plead guilty even though you were innocent. Play agreement, right? Mm, so yeah. that must have been a very terrible thing You're to very, experience. Mm. You, you betcha. Yeah, it was, it was a it was a tough situation. So the the process goes. Um, there's all kinds of investigations, and mm. uh, we meet once in a while in a court. And uh, and uh, there, there's a there there's a process that U.S. legal system is trying to have a, it so, case solved without actual actual trial and and have all the all the um, People, very expensive process. So just before the hearing was supposed to begin in May 2011, yeah, 2011, that was it. So U.S. attorney is proposing a plea agreement, mm-hmm. and the agreement was maximum seven years of sentencing, and uh, no, I'm sorry, 72 months, 72 mm-hmm. months, so not quite seven years, and. Um, I think it was seven million dollars of restitution for all of us. Sorry, how many millions? Because it's seven, just seven, seven million. Seven, seven million. Okay. So it was okay actually for anyone else except for me. And uh, Mr. Bill Wasburn, he probably anticipated the situation, so he sent a message through my attorney. I never talked to to these guys directly. Oh. During the legal process, but I got a message saying that Bill Wasburn says if Tapani does not accept the deal, they all will come and witness in a court saying that I was conspiring with them. Mm. Oh my God! Yeah. And uh, I knew enough by that time that if I had gotten to the court, it uh, it I had no chance to survive in front mm-hmm. of the uh, U.S. legal system against those guys. So I had to accept. Now, so then there's a lot of episodes. Actual sentencing time came down down to um, two years for me and another person. Uh, some other people got less time, and the total amount came to two million. Everyone, everyone else was happy to sign the plea agreement except for me. So they arranged a separate meeting for me. I think it was the following day. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pietari, he briefed me and, and also my my attorney um, uh, at that time. He briefed and they thought, said, I have no other chance but accept the deal. Yeah. So we go to the court. I was the only one as a person in front of the court. And then there was two attorneys, U.S. attorneys, and my two defending attorneys. Pietari went to the bathroom. I was in the bathroom, and then I, I knew that the U.S. attorneys are coming in. I realized that this is the only time I can talk to those guys. I was waiting at the door when they came to the courthouse, courtroom. I want to shake your hand because it's the only time I can I can shake your hand. And you know, both uh, they came separate times. Their hands were shaky. 
sweaty. They knew that they were doing a wrong thing. Mm -hmm. But I had no other choice but uh, actually plead guilty. Yeah. Yeah. What happened after that? Okay. So then uh, I think it was uh, early, late, late May or early June. Mm. I don't have the dates here in my mind right now, but uh, mm-hmm. so they gave me a time to report to do the the prison time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then the play play uh, game again continues, and uh, I said, "Well, where I'm supposed to go?" Because uh, in my sentencing, they said I, I would uh, deserve the lowest level prison system, I was hoping that I would go to Vandenberg, which was near to my family. It would have been actually, I could have worked at their Air Force base over there. Vandenberg is a place where the Air Force is launching their space rockets. I said, okay, mm-hmm. I could be, there's a yellow line that you can't cross. And I said, I can do that. Now, they said, no, that's not for you. You are an alien citizen. It's only for you as citizens. So I, I was not allowed to go there. So I said, well, so where do I go? Nobody would tell me. Nobody would tell me where I need to go. Okay. Um, then I needed to get Pietris assistance. And he would, he would help me to, to find the location. And after a lot of iterations, I learned that my, my destination is in Mississippi, in Natchez. And uh, I would need to go there. Okay. Do I have time for another little story here? Yeah. Go this ahead. <laughs> entertaining story. So, okay. So we knew what's what's coming. And uh, my friend John uh, Pietari and uh, another attorney, we made a plan that they would take me. They would drive me to Mississippi. And we would drive through Grand Canyon and see my, my last time to see those places over there. And again, I had to apply for permission for that. They said, well, you thinking that we let you do that? No, that's not going to happen. You need to, you need to go through U.S. Marshal. They fly you there. But, mm-hmm. uh, the sentencing clearly stated that I can report to the prison, uh, myself. Just like Arnio did uh, the other day here in Finland, he reported mm-hmm. him himself. It's kind of a more honorable thing than they would have just handcuffed me right there. Yeah. So that was about three months, almost three time, three months time, for me to say fair, farewell to my friends. Went fishing with John. Uh, went to Napa Valley with Laura. Um, yeah, we had a lot of good times, but a lot of Bitter feelings mm. as well. So, um, I had, st- I'd still need to find out how, how I'm going to go to Natchez, Mississippi. Uh, they told me that I would just need to report, report to the uh, U.S. Marshal and they fly me there. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've been flying with their airlines for a few times already, so I knew, no thank you. If I can do it the other way, I'll do it. I had pretty much pleaded all my funding, but I still had some mileage points with my my airline cards. This one was with uh, American Airlines, and 
and I was able to find out that I can actually fly there myself. So a few days before my uh, planned departure, the uh, officer came to my home and he, he cut the bandage. By the way, as we said, it was very rigorous uh, guarding within the old time I was in home arrest. But when the bandage was cut, there was nobody was interested in what I am doing. Mm-hmm. At, and prior to that, actually, my uh, defender uh, attorney he came to my house. He said, run away, run away now because you can't come back to this country anymore. This was the first part of Tabani's story. Tune in on Business FM next week's Monday at 8pm to hear the rest of this amazing survival story. You can also read more about our guests and listen to earlier podcasts at failingpoint.com. And remember, whatever you're trying to achieve out there, keep on grinding and never give up on your dreams.